0: Thanks, Duncan. Thank you so much. We are uh, so glad to have you all join us here this morning. This is uh, week four of our series called Step Into the Story. And uh, uh, over these, uh, the course of this series, we're looking at different stories, particularly in this stretch, uh, that are somewhat long and these beautiful interactions Jesus has with people. And so we're going to have different folks, uh, before I get up here and chop it up, and I can't possibly cover the full length of the story, just get up and sort of tell the story and let us enter into it more fully. So thanks so much to Duncan for doing that. In the next couple weeks, we'll have other folks come and kind of do a dramatic reading as well. If you are new here, welcome Welcome, we're so glad you're joining us, whether in person or online. My name is Alex, and we are delighted if you're joining us here for the very first time. Uh, We're all about connecting here, connecting people to God, to each other, so together we can engage our world for good. So as we step into this series, leading us all the way up to Easter, we're just inviting everyone to sort of step into the Jesus story, and today we're talking about the redemption story. Now here's my proposal about redemption stories, okay? My proposal about redemption stories is this. Everyone loves a good redemption story, right? We love a good redemption story. It makes for good movies, good books. Everyone loves a good redemption story, but no one wants to be in a redemption story, right? Because a redemption story means this. Something horrible happens, right? It starts with something painful, difficult, awful, sometimes through your own fault, right? Your own character flaws, your own mistakes. Sometimes someone else hurts you. Someone sins against you like in terrible ways, or sometimes the circumstances go bad, And the only way you get a redemption story is if you go through this arduous journey, right, of overcoming external obstacles, opposition situations, often dealing with people from your past, often dealing with the own voices in your head and maybe literal and figurative demons inside your own head that you have to overcome and at the end of this long journey, painful arduous journey something beautiful emerges that's wise and courageous and wonderful now what I want is the end of the redemption story without that hard work, amen, amen. <laughs> without going through that whole journey, everyone loves a good redemption story No one wants to actually be in a redemption story. Here's the bad news. You are already in need of a redemption story. Because the truth of the matter is, all of us got stories. You got a story. I got a story. Hopefully some ups guaranteed plenty of downs. And no guarantee of happily ever after. You already have heartbreak, pain, shame, Difficulties, things in their rearview mirror. The only question is, how do you enter into the redemption story? How does that pain, that heartache, that difficulty actually experience redemption? Because the thing is, we don't really know what to do with it, right? We don't actually know what to do with our pain and our shame and our history. And so there's a couple of responses to it that aren't especially healthy. One response to it is get as far away from it as possible. Don't ever look back. Don't ever talk about it. Don't ever engage with it, right? There's like it's the past is in the past. We're going to try to leave this as far behind as possible. That's one way we manage around the pain of our past, right, of our histories. The other equal and opposite response is our pain. Some of you have experienced so much pain, something so traumatic, that it's like the centerpiece of your whole life, right? You enshrine that pain at the center of your life. And your whole life gets built around it. And there's no redemptive arc. It's just there. And it always is there. And you almost protect it. You sort of live into the space almost as like, hey, like I'm a victim. This was terrible. And that's 100% true. And there's all kinds of reasons why people enshrine their pain at the center of their lives. But that's not a redemption story. So here's the problem. Everyone loves redemption stories. No one wants to be in a redemption story. But you've got pain, shame, heartbreak, and Difficult things in your past that are in need of redemption. How do we experience actual redemption? Today we're talking about how do we enter into Jesus' redemption story. Because the invitation today is to step into a story where your pain, shame, heartbreak, no matter how it happened, gets gathered up by Jesus and woven into something beautiful and good. And every job's a custom job, and every story is a custom story. But there are some patterns There are some principles There are some, some things that are signature definitive Jesus That, that are, that are things, ways that he operates again and again and again And so today we're going to look at one of my very favorite stories As Jesus steps into this woman's story that Duncan just recited for us Jesus is going to step into the story And we're going to map what are the things that Jesus tends to do What are the things Jesus tends to do to help redeem our stories Because at some point the only way we experience the redemption of our stories Is if we are willing Participants, right? You have to be willing to cooperate with the redemptive work that Jesus wants to do in your life. And if you aren't awake and aware of how Jesus wants to move, you might fend it off, push it off, or push it away. But today, the invitation is to step into Jesus's beautiful redemption story, to cooperate with what he wants to do to bring redemption out of even the darkest, hardest, most difficult parts of your life. Let's pick up that John 4 passage that Duncan recited for us so, so beautifully. We're going to start in verse 3. Says John writes, Jesus left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria. Okay, so some history already here that you might not be aware of. It's some cultural challenges, right? Okay, so here's a map of uh, Israel in this time in Jesus' time. There, down the south is Judea, up north is Galilee. Samaria right there between them, right? So it's obvious that's the most direct route from south to north is go straight through Samaria. However, comma all kinds of tension. All kinds of baggage between the Jews and the Samaritans. They don't like each other. There's an ethnic component to it. We call it a racial component today. There's a religious component. Hundreds of years of animosity. It gets politically violent from time to time. And so what most good Jewish people do, especially Jewish teachers, instead of going through Samaria, they go around Samaria. They either go by the coast or they cross the Jordan River there two times. To avoid going through Samaria. This is the most traveled route. So when John writes that Jesus had to go through Samaria, he didn't have to go through Samaria. Most people didn't go through Samaria. Jesus had to go through Samaria. Not Jesus had to go through Samaria. Jesus has to go through Samaria because God has work for Jesus to do in the place no one else goes. Jesus has a date with the woman at the well. And he's going to go out of his way to not go out of his way to meet her in this place at this point on this day. Any of you know someone who's super intentional with their lives? Anyone know someone who's super intentional or super planned? Everything they do is intentional, intentional, intentional. Aren't they wonderful human beings? Like they're super, they're thorough, they're thoughtful. Everything is done on purpose. It's very orderly, very organized. Some of you have no idea what that life looks like, right? It's not you at all, but maybe you're married to that person. You got a friend who's like that, right? They're very impressive. They get a lot done. They can be a little intimidating. I'm pretty sure Joseph Stalin was very intentional. They can be a little bit much, but they can get a whole lot done. But if you fuel intentionality with a genuine love, a genuine love for people, for opportunities, for the Lord. It is one of the greatest gifts that God has put on the planet. People who are intentional, fueled by love. Here's the question. As we talk about redemption stories, the fact that you've got downs, you've got heartache, you've got pain. Why should you trust Jesus with your heartache and your pain? Why should you open yourself up to Jesus' redemption story and some of the darkest days of your life? Here's how Jesus redeems stories, how he writes our stories as a love-fueled intentionality. Jesus goes out of his way. To not go out of his way, to have a date with the woman at the well that no one would talk to. We'll talk more about that in a little bit. But everything that Jesus does, every movement Jesus makes is intentional, fueled by love to meet you exactly where you need to be met. Now, my friends, here's the good news doesn't matter if you're an all-in Jesus person or if someone dragged you here today or if you're online watching this because your spouse is making you watch it or whatever. The good news is this. Just like Jesus had a date with the woman at the well, he has a date with you too. Jesus can't wait to meet with you. That's why you're here today. You are here in person or online to have a date with Jesus who can't wait to step into your story to come alongside you one of our connect devotional writers our connect devotional is a five day week devotional that goes out if you're not getting that just give us your name and email address on the hello card and say I want to be added to the connect devotional list it's so great we have a brand new uh, writer uh, Lynn Hunt this week she wrote this great story She, she points out that Jesus actually steps into her story to invite her into his story right Jesus wants to step into your story to invite you to step into his redemption story and the question is will you let him will you let him Are you willing today to let Jesus muck around in those places that are the most hard, most difficult, most painful, the places that you sort of hold off and hold back and push away or that you've enshrined? Are you willing to open yourself up to Jesus' love-fueled intentionality? Because he has a date with you here even today. So Jesus goes out of his way to not go out of his way, to pass through a town, and a village, that no good Jewish teacher would typically pass through. And here's how the story proceeds as he steps into the work God's given him to do. Verse 5. So Jesus came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. And Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about the sixth hour. That means it was about noon. Now this is a desert climate. What's life like in the desert at noon? Hot. This is a hot, 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 the hottest time of the day is where Jesus sits down by the well. That becomes important in just a few minutes. Verse 7. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples have gone to the town to buy food. Okay, so hold my floor up here too. Okay, so first off, the woman comes to draw water at the well at noon. This is an important detail, right? She comes to draw water at the well at noon. Most women do the the work to get water in the mornings or in the evenings because it's a lot cooler, right? In the desert, it cools off morning and evening. No one comes to the well at noon. So either her alarm clock forgot to spring forward and she's off. She's had a rough morning. She's a little late on the chores. Or there's some other reason why she's coming to the well at noon. We'll come back to that in a little bit. Secondly, Jesus actually talks to her. He asks her, he opens the conversation, will you give me a drink? Now, the ancient Jewish teachers had three terrible prayers they would pray all the time that they were thankful for. Okay, so this is not good, this is not healthy, this is not right. But they had three things they thanked God for. One, thank you God I'm not a woman. Two, thank you God that I'm not a Gentile. That's anyone who's not a Jew, including Samaritans. Thank you God that I'm not a woman. Thank you that I'm not a Gentile. And three, thank you that I'm not a dog. That was the thing that like Jewish Jewish rabbis prayed all the time. And so here Jesus is talking to a woman who is a Gentile, not a Jew, and he's stepping into her story. A hated Samaritan, which we'll talk more about that in a little bit. Anyone remember elementary school? You learned about like the American Revolution. There was a shot heard around the world. Shot heard around the world starts the American Revolution. This is the question heard around the world. Because here's what Jesus is going to do. Jesus is going to launch a revolution. And for the next 2,000 years, what Jesus is going to do is he's going to send people to cross racial, ethnic, religious, and gender lines to heal division and brokenness. Everywhere Jesus' people go, they are going to be intentional about crossing ethnic strongholds. These these are spiritual strongholds. Every nation, every region, every culture for all time has had division along ethnic lines and gender lines have always been fraught with tension as well. And everywhere Jesus' people have gone for the last 2,000 years, they have been called to be bridge builders, to break through those racial strongholds, those gender strongholds, to be people who bring shalom, peace, reconciliation, right, healthy, holy relationships between people. Jesus Jesus' question that no good rabbi would have at a place no good rabbi would go is the shot heard around the world. It changes everything as he opens this conversation with a woman at the well at noon. Will you give me a drink? And then this little detail. The disciples had gone to the town to buy food. Now these good Jewish boys, they don't want to be there to begin with. They hate Samaritans. They hate Samaria. They don't like this trip to begin with. And then Jesus sends them into the town to go to the Piggly Wiggly to pick up some lunch. They are not whistling while they work. They don't want to be there. They're getting stares. They're getting glares. This is a very, very, very tense moment for them. But my friends, this is all part of how Jesus redeems our stories. Here's the truth of the matter. Sometimes the redemptive story of Jesus will take you to places you would rather not go. Sometimes the redemptive story of Jesus will take you to places you don't want to go experiences you don't want to have situations you would rather not be in and some of you totally get that because you don't want to be here at church you would rather not be in church some of you part of why you're here part of why someone dragged you here today is that you might actually step into the story but in order for you to be here it's going to require you to step into a place you're not entirely comfortable here's the thing we are all wired up to seek our own comfort We're all wired up to seek our own preferences. We're all wired up to make sure we are as comfortable as we possibly can be. But I've got good news for you, my friends. There are some things more important than our comfort. There's redemption, transformation, growth, fruitfulness. And sometimes following Jesus and his redemptive story requires us going places you would rather not go. After Jesus dies... Raised back to life, he sends the disciples, he says, disciples, go, go to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. The disciples are going to spend the rest of their lives crossing ethnic lines that they would rather not cross. And this is a little warm up for them. As he sends them into sicker to buy some food at the local Piggly Wiggly for everybody. As they go into town, they would rather not go into. So Jesus is teaching them a lesson, right? And he's setting the stage for what it means to be a follower of Jesus here as he sends disciples into town to buy food. But he's also doing something else. He's also getting rid of them. Disciples, go away. And in basketball terms, we would call this a clear out. And no, I'm not going to talk about basketball ever again for the next six months. No more conversation about basketball, please ever again at least for six more months he's running a clear out if look he has a date with the woman at the well if the woman comes up and there's 13 jewish dudes hanging out at the well she's not coming to the well she's gonna go back home so jesus has gone out of his way to not go out of his way he, gets, he sends the disciples to town. Get out of here, disciples. I have a conversation I have to have with this woman. So he runs to clear out. Here this woman comes. He opens up with a conversation that no good Jewish rabbi would ever have. A good Jewish rabbi wouldn't even talk to his own wife in public, much less a stranger, much less a Samaritan woman stranger. He's breaking all kinds of norms, all kinds of cultural barriers because he's got work to do there because Jesus is writing a redemption story in this woman's life and not just in her life but in her whole community. This is how the story continues. The Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews have nothing to do with, have no association with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us this well and drank from himself, as did also his sons and his flocks and his herds? Hey, listen, when it's hot and nasty and you're doing a labor-intensive job, you don't want some guy chatting you up at the well. Maybe trying to pick you up at the well, which is even part of the intonation here, right? She's got a hot tedious labor-intensive job and this dude is there some strangers there chatting with her she doesn't want to talk to him right she, has, she wants nothing to do with him so she's a little chippy she wants him to go away she, pu- she pulls out all her guns at the very starting of the conversation she starts out first off she talks about the racial smugness of jews you jews don't want anything to do with us samaritans how can you ask me for a drink right so she starts she pulls she plays the race card to start with and then she says obviously you are ill-equipped for the task at hand You got no bucket. You are bucketless at a well. You are pretty useless, my friend. And then finally, she says, our father Jacob gave us this well. Now, there's the history. This goes back to Genesis, right? The question is, who are really God's people? The Jews or the Samaritans? Who are really God's people? Jacob, Jacob's name, was changed to Israel, wrestles with God. So listen, the question is who owns Jacob and who owns Jacob's well? That's all part of the history, right? So she brings up all the firing, all the history, all the animosity, all the antagonism. Listen, she does not want to have a conversation with this random guy at the well, but if Jesus wants to pick a fight, she's here for it. Some of you know exactly what what she's like. But my friends, this is how Jesus redeems our stories. Because sometimes... The redemptive story of Jesus leads you places you'd rather not go. And sometimes it leads you into conversations you would rather not have. Sometimes the redemptive story of Jesus leads you places you would rather not go. And sometimes it leads into conversations you would much rather not have. This woman does not want to have this conversation with Jesus. But Jesus is here to redeem her story. He's gone out of his way to knock out, go out of his way. To introduce, to step into her story there at the well, in order to invite her into his story here together to cross racial, ethnic, and cultural lines, to break down gender barriers and animosity and antagonism in order to write a redemptive story in her life. Here's how the story continues. Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. Whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, it's the first time she gets soft at all toward him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty. Have to keep coming here to draw water. All right, sir, I want you to think about a job around the house that you hate, like a chore around the house that you despise, that's exhausting, that you have to do anyway, right? So uh, think about something that came along, a robot or a magic potion that would just do that for you. Wouldn't that be great, right? Man, it would be so great for the woman to not to come out here to draw water every single day. That would be a great gift. So what a great gift to not have to be out here to draw water. But maybe there's another reason. Maybe there's another reason why she does want to keep coming here to draw water. And that gets uncovered here in the next verse. He told her, go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, hey, you're right when you say you have no husband. Fact is, you've had five husbands. The man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true Sir, the woman said, "I can see that you are a prophet." All right, so here it all comes together. Here it all comes together. All those husbands—maybe she's been widowed, maybe she's been divorced. It was easy for a husband to just discard a wife in the ancient world. Maybe she's had some affairs. That's also kind of in there. And now she's living with a man who is not her husband at all. This woman is thirsty, but it's not just for water. She's thirsty for relationship. She's. Spent her life chasing after men and relationships and relationships and relationships. And now there's all this fallout in her life. Have you ever been lonely? A little lost. A little confused. And turned to the wrong person. To the wrong thing. To try to find comfort. And then had to suffer consequences for doing that. In this culture at this time, this woman's reputation about on par with a prostitute. That's about how they're thinking about her. That's how she's perceived. And so all this comes to a situation where she goes to the well at noon rather than the morning or the evening because that's when all the women are there and she wants to avoid the town gossip circle. She comes at noon to avoid the crowds. She doesn't want to be seen. She doesn't want people talking about her. She doesn't want people, like the, the judging and the glares and the stares. So every single day she comes to the well at noon and it's a reminder of her shame, And how she's thought about and seen in the community. This is her well of shame. And so if there's any get out of jail free card. If there's any way she could stop coming to this well to draw water. She would be delighted to have it from Jesus. To be set free from her well of shame. But my friends it's no surprise that her well of shame is exactly where Jesus has a date with her. Is it? Jesus meets her at her well of shame. He's going to change the name of her well of shame to something much more beautiful here in just a few minutes. But Jesus meets her right here at this heartbreaking place, heartbreaking reminder of what her life has become every single day that she's tied to. But Jesus has a date with the woman at her well of shame to change Everything. But at this point, Jesus gets much more direct, right? He's much more direct. He says, first off, hey, you've had five husbands. The man you now have is not your husband. Jesus surfaces the story of her life that makes her a social outcast. Now, I have not one but two kindergarten teachers in my small group, okay? And my kindergarten teachers, one of them did not like the story. She's like, Jesus is meaning this story. Jesus, use nice words. That was her corrective word to Jesus this week in our small group. But Jesus has gone out of his way. To not go out of his way. To have a date with the woman at the well. He's cleared out his disciples. He's opened a conversation to change everything. This woman is a fighter. She's had to learn to be a fighter. And so Jesus Jesus is going to meet her right there that energy. But here's what Jesus is here to do. Jesus surfaces our pain not to shame us, but to save us from it. He's not surfacing her history just to shame her, to pile on. He's surfacing her history to save her from her history. To redeem her story. Because you got a story. I got a story. Some ups, all kinds of downs. What are we gonna do with the parts of our story that are shameful, painful, and heartbreaking? Jesus says, I want to surface this, not to shame you, but to save you from it and to redeem all of it. Been working with a guy last several months. Uh, for, he, had, he has a horrible family of origin story Just heartbreaking heartbreaking, Like the most dysfunctional One of the most dysfunctional families I've ever heard of And uh, 50 years later it's the, All that sort of baggage All that sort of history All that pain Is about to ruin yet another marriage As he's a total workaholic And all kinds of other unhealthy behaviors and he's been, he's, he's, he started the last couple of years to get his mind around how dysfunctional his family was, how broken they were, all that kind of thing. And at one point, a couple months ago, he said, listen, I don't want to talk about my family of origin anymore. That's in the past. I'm done with them. I don't want to give it any more air time, any more weight. And I said to him, listen, I know I get that. I, I get that. But we're going to have to deal with that pain in order for you to be healthy. That's the origin of so much of the pain. we got to deal with that in order for you to move forward into a healthier place. And he kind of grudgingly acknowledged that might be part of the story to deal with the pain. And just like with the woman at the well over the last few months, he's going through an agonizingly beautiful redemption story. And at different points over the last couple months, the Lord keeps bringing up memories, conversations, Things his mom said, his dad said, when he was really little, that he'd forgotten about. that are surfacing. And as they're surfacing, I just keep telling him, hey, look, the Lord's bringing that to the light. Because, listen, as long as your pain and shame stays in the darkness, you think it's it's gone, but it's not gone. It's just in the shadows. It's sucking emotional energy, spiritual energies out of you. So Jesus brings it out to the light to set you free from it, to save you from it, to transform it so that it might be part of your beauty and no longer a curse, no longer part of the darkness. Beauty for ashes, the beautiful redemption story of Jesus. He surfaces our pain and our shame and our heartbreak not to pile on or rewound us, not to have you be stalled out in it or stuck in it. He is writing a redemption story. He surfaces the pain and the shame in order to redeem the pain and the shame in her life and in our life too. But sometimes when the past gets exposed, you don't want to talk about it, right? And so this woman has a response that's very similar to many of our responses. She says, sir, I can see that you are a prophet. Now, what do you do when someone says something about you that you don't want to talk about in public? What do you do? You change the subject, which is exactly what she does. Let's change the subject, shall we? Uh, Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim the place we must worship is in. Jerusalem, this would be like someone telling you everything you've ever done wrong, and you say, oh yeah, what about healthcare reform? What about inflation? Let's talk about that. Right, so she pivots to this this historical religious sort of conflict between the Jews and the Samaritans, the political conversation of the day, right? That's what it is. But here's the thing, she doesn't realize that when she starts talking about worship, Jesus is always happy to talk about worship. In fact, worship is why Jesus has come. This is what he's come to fix. Jesus has come to make everything right about worship. Here's how Jesus responds. Jesus declared, believe me, woman, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans, you worship what you don't know. We worship what we do know for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshipers must worship in spirit, and in truth. I once heard someone describe the whole Christian story and the whole Christian way of life and what's going wrong with the world this way. He said, we worshiped our way into this mess. We're going to have to worship our way out of this mess. We worshiped our way into this mess. We were designed to worship a good, loving, generous, gracious God who pours out grace, love, and mercy, makes us in his image. We were designed to be people who worship God, love people, and then serve the created order so they might flourish and be more and more beautiful. And what we did instead was we worshiped ourselves, our own reflection, our own choices. We worship things, we chase after, we, we forget God, we worship people, or we use people and we neglect the, the work God's given us to do to love and serve and tend to His created order as well. So this whole thing's gone wrong because we've worshiped all the wrong things. Misspent and misdirected worship is what's gone wrong with the world. This whole woman's life is one of misdirected, misspent worship. She has worshiped relationships with men. And has resulted in a life of shame and pain and suffering and consequences. And so as she changes the subject to worship, she walks right into Jesus' favorite subject. Because this is the goal of Jesus' redemption story. Redemption's goal is that we might repent of misspent, misdirected worship to be people who worship God in spirit and in truth. That's redemption's goal. That you might no longer waste your life worshiping stupid things like money. Or your career or your reputation. They're not terrible things, they're just not worth worshiping. They're just not that important. Don't waste your life with misspent, misdirected worship, chasing after all the wrong things. Spirit and in truth. This has some head heart parallels to it, right? Head heart parallels. So let's talk about truth, right? Truth matters. God is truth, His word is truth. We must know what's true about God, about us, about the world, about how God made it, about how we're designed to live. Not just your truth. That's too small. That's such a small thing, that whole, like, your truth, my truth. I mean, we have different perceptions of what's true, but there is something that's actually true. Jesus calls Satan the father of lies because lies always cloud our lives. Lies always trip you up. Lies will always weave you into deception and darkness. Truth actually matters. What is actually true? Not just your truth and my truth. No, what is actually true about God, true about the life we're called to live, true about how we're designed, and not just some vague floating spirituality, right? Now, it's like vaguely spiritual, like happy floaty people. We're all kind of doing our own spiritual journey. No, 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 There is something that's true about God, about God's spirit, about what it means to follow Jesus, to be redeemed people, the work of God. Truth it matters. But it's not just truth, right? Like we all know people who are truth people who are obnoxious. Like, even if you agree with them, they hold they wield it so strongly, so smugly, so self-righteously. Spirit, spirit of grace, spirit of joy, spirit of freedom, a fruitful, a generative, a most of all a spirit that is full of love. That's the spirit Jesus is talking about. Truth, spirit. Right? These things are woven together such that we live lives that actually reflect the life that God designed us to live. Jesus has come to redirect all our misspent and all our misdirected worship toward the true God that we might live in spirit and in truth that we might become the worshipers God designed us to be. Now at this point The woman at the well, she is all in on Jesus, right? She's kind of, she's no longer chippy and defensive. She leans in with this. The woman said, I know Messiah called the Christ is coming. When he comes, he'll explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I who speak to you am he. This is one of the most direct self-revelations of Jesus that he ever gives in the whole Bible. His most revealing comment about himself. And who does he give it to? Not a religious leader. Not even a good group of Jews who he shares a lot in common with. He gives it to this woman at the well who's got the reputation of a prostitute there in Samaria as he's meeting her to redeem her well of shame to make it her well of transformation grace truth let's watch the rest of her story as it unfolds and then we'll wrap up then leaving her water jar the woman went back to the town said to the people come see a man told me everything I ever did could this be the Christ they came out of the town and made their way toward him verse 39 many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony he told me everything I ever did So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them. He stayed two days. Because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves. We know this man really is the savior of the world. This is so remarkable. One of the reasons why I love this story so much. This woman has been outcast by her community. But when she meets Jesus, where does she go? Right back to the community that shunned her. You know what she says? Come come see the man who told me everything I ever did. You know what some women said in response? Oh, well, I know some things you've done. I know some things you've done. That's not a secret. She gets this one beautiful moment. And you know what she does? She shares it with a community that has shunned her. And you know what that means? She is reconciled back into the community that she was made for. My friends, this is part of redemption's goal. Redemption's goal, that we might be worshipers in spirit and in truth, but it's not just about you individually. Jesus' redemption goal is that he might reconcile you to community, to relationships. Because you were made for relationships, but sin always breaks relationships. Sin drives us to shame and hidings. one of the first things that sin did in, the old, in, the, in Genesis. When people sin, they hide from each other. We have people all the time around here at Community Church, super involved, super involved, super involved, super involved. And then they Disappear. We find out later, we chase them down, they, they ghost us. Don't respond to emails, don't respond to text. We find out later, hey, some stuff went down. Some painful things went down. Maybe there's some terrible things they did or something else happened. And they just ghost and they retreat from community rather than be stepping into community because sin always breaks community. And so what Jesus wants to do is restore her back into the community that she was made for, the relationships she was made for. Because he's here To redeem her story, redeem her well, to right-size her relationships. And he's not only going to redeem her story, he's going to redeem her story to send her back into the community that she might be an instrument of salvation for the whole town. She's now the woman, no longer the outcast, she's now the woman who met the Messiah that everyone's been waiting for. How awesome is that? That's her new name. The well of shame, no longer the well of shame. Now the place where she met the Messiah, she was the one that was the first one. To talk to Jesus. How awesome is that? Game changing for her personally. Totally changing for her relationship to community. It transforms a whole town. Jesus wants to redeem your story not just for you but for everyone you know. Jesus wants to redeem your story not just for you as much as he loves you. He wants to redeem your story for everyone that you know. That more and more people might be touched by the redemptive story of Jesus. Because here's the thing. You got a story I got a story. Everyone you know has a story. Hopefully, some ups, all kinds of downs. And everyone loves a good redemption story, but no one wants to be in a redemption story. But the bad news is you're already in need of a redemption story. So, how do you allow that redemption story to touch you and everyone else around you? That's today's Wildly Important Take-Ons so as we kind of gather this all back together. Trust Jesus enough. To let him into your story, even the hard parts, even those wells of shame, those painful parts. And then follow him into the steps of his redemption story. This is the journey that Jesus walks the woman of the well through. It is the invitation. It's where everything starts. Because the only way that we have a redemption story is if we cooperate with that redemption story. Let it into our lives. Things we talked about today. How does it happen? How does Jesus do that? How does he redeem our stories? First, he moves towards us. With that love-fueled intentionality, you can trust, you can trust, you can trust Jesus. He moves toward the woman at the well. He moves toward you today to redeem your story in this love-fueled intentionality. Sometimes following Jesus into that redemption story is going to lead you to places you'd rather not go. Conversations you would much rather not have. But there are some things better than your comfort. There's redemption, salvation, transformation. Jesus' surface is our pain. Not to shame us, not to pile on, not to re-wound us, not to have you stalled out in it or stuck in it, but to redeem it, and to save us from it. My prayer is that we would be open to that. And then two goals. Goal number one, that he might redirect our misspent, misguided worship to become worshipers in spirit and in truth. That we might actually become actual faithful worshipers of the God who made us. And then goal number two, the good news, that Jesus redeems our stories not just for us, but that we might be instruments of salvation to our community and all those we know. And love. Jesus is reconnecting this woman to God and to others. Because that's what he's doing when he redeems our stories. He's inviting us into a story of redemption and transformation. May you and I trust him enough to open up those hard spots and invite him into our pain, our shame, our heartache, that he might write his magnificent redemption story. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for being so generous and gracious to us. We pray that our hearts would be soft and open as stuff comes up, maybe even comes up now that we're trying to push away and bat down like whack-a-mole to try to keep back, keep back, keep back things that we don't want to think about or deal with. Come Holy Spirit, we ask that you would be faithful to surface even our wounded spots and do something magnificent with them. Come Lord Jesus, we want to be open to having you meet us in our story that we might step into your story. Come, Holy Spirit. We pray that you would give us the courage and the strength to walk out and live out this redemption story you want to write in our lives. We ask in Jesus' strong and mighty name. Amen. 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 Why don't we stand as we sing a last song together.